sure I'm all situated here. If you came in late, we're not going to stick around today. We're going to go right over to the YMCA. So we look forward to seeing you all there. I really appreciate um, Aaron sharing and his preparation for sharing those uh, God-glorifying, Christ-honoring words. Aaron and I have been talking uh, lately a good bit. And uh, we, just for what it's worth, uh, we do not believe in nor practice rebaptism. As Aaron made clear, uh, we believe in baptism. And so that is the immersion of a believer and only a repentant believer um, done by a gospel church. And so we, as Pastor Ben has led us so well this morning, we are expectant as we come together in the Lord's presence this morning. Let's, uh, if you are physically able, first of all, we'll we'll stand in a minute. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll stand in just a minute. getting ahead of myself here. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we will continue with our new brief series through this letter of 1 Peter, which is near the back of your Bible. Not too far from the book of Revelation, 1 Peter chapter 2. So today, if you want a title, we'll just call the title Reprobation and the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. First Peter 2, 4, as you come to him, our text is verses 4 through 12, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor, 1 Peter 2, 7, is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Peter 2, 4-12, uh, reprobation in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're physically able, would you stand for prayer? Let's pray together. O great God of highest heaven, occupy our lowly hearts. Own them all and reign supreme. Lord, help us by your grace and through the gospel, by your grace alone. As it says here, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Help us to live as your holy people. We know we cannot do that unless we have been made holy once for all through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses consciences even today and washes us whiter than snow. So please help us not to run from the fact that we are sinners Help us to embrace the truth about you, about us, from your word. Lord, please help us now. Even in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing. Let's keep reading just a bit more. 1 Peter 2.13. Although not our primary text today, let's just read a bit more. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants or slaves of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. We've heard our brother Aaron's testimony this morning of God's converting grace. Uh, hear another true testimony this morning, briefly. This one from a lady. Listen to what this believing lady says. She said, I firmly believe and rejoice in the sovereignty of God, but the doctrine of predestination and especially reprobation felt very frightening to me, especially because some people I love are not believers. Anybody here this morning can already identify? The thought of digging into that doctrine felt frightening, like digging into a dark hole. I wasn't sure that I would like what I found. But each time I came back to it, I come away with a completely different emotion. My heart, she says, is filled with grateful worship to God. There is nothing in me that calls God to choose me. I am amazed that the God of the universe chose me before the foundation of the world. The doctrine of predestination, rather than frightening me, has changed my heart and caused me to worship and love our good God, even more. And that was surprising to me. 
uh, this lady named Jenny is actually writing about an experience of her husband writing a book about the same theme. Uh, for what it's worth, years ago, R.C. Sproul wrote a book about this, these ideas, election and reprobation, this type of stuff. Really good book. Commend it to you. I think that this lady's husband, Andy Nacelli, this brand new book that he's written, I think, you know, and if, you're, if somebody's reformed, they're going to be like, you can't say that. I think it's even better than Sproul's. Uh, so it's really helpful. And she's writing about her testimony. My husband's writing this book about doctrine. And a lot of people don't even like doctrine, much less certain doctrines. My husband's writing this book about predestination, election, and reprobation. What's he doing? And we know fellow family members who don't know the Lord. Can we just not talk about this and maybe just pray for them? And she says, as I read very clearly, it only stirred me more and more to, to worship. Here's the deal this morning. Listen up. I don't think it's too much to say that we have an identity crisis. I'm not talking about uh, America, uh, where we could say in America or in the West we have an identity crisis. People are asking, who am I? Uh, that's legitimate, okay? We could, but I'm talking about that we in the church, who are we? What we need as believers living in a fallen world, we need to know our identity. Because only when we know who we are, according to God, according to God, when we know who we are, only then will we rightly understand our purpose in life. So dear friends, all of us this morning, all of us need to truly humble ourselves before a mighty God. But here's the thing. It's not just that we need to truly humble ourselves before a mighty God. We need to do so even with joy and wonder. With joy and with wonder. Hey, I have two headings this morning. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 12, and the two headings are this. I'm going to again tell you where we're going. Number one, these come, these come straight out of the text. All right? Pay attention to the text this morning. Do you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? then if so, then, then it's our belief that you trust this completely. So let's see what it says. Number one, you are a chosen race. Number two, keep your conduct honorable. Crossway, that's what we're looking at. You, even we here today, you are a chosen race, straight out of the text. Number two, keep your conduct honorable. So let's look at this first thing here. And number one, again, is you are a chosen race. We see that particularly in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. Where he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Why are we talking about this this morning? Why are we talking about reprobation in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we're going through this book and this is, this is what the text says. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at verse 10. Isn't it beautiful if you're a Christian here this morning? 
If you're a part of God's church, once you were not a people, but now, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. Anybody just want to say hallelujah this morning? But now you have received mercy. Number one is specifically verses 9 and 10. Okay? Specifically verses 9 and 10. Number one, you are a chosen race. Now, I want you to keep your place here. I'll probably just ask you to turn to one passage. Keep your place in 1 Peter and go with me to book number two in the Bible. Second book of the Bible, Exodus, chapter 19. Exodus, chapter 19. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you know that wonderful passage at the end of Isaiah chapter 40? Those who wait on the Lord, you know, it talks about He will strengthen us, He will, we will rise up on wings as eagles. Wonderful passage there at the end of Isaiah chapter 40. This passage as well in Exodus 19, Exodus 19, 5 and 6, we're going to see that it speaks to that in its greater context. Dear friends, the reason I'm having you look at Exodus 19, 5, and 6 is because it is the background to our passage today, okay? Verse 5 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Stop. Friends, there is a crisis of identity in America. Who are you? I mean, we've never been more connected than we are now. Never. And there's an epidemic of loneliness in the midst of massive connectivity. Because we live our lives in front of screens. Four or five different screens that we all have that we live our lives in front of. I'm not slamming technology. It's a useful tool, right? But there's an epidemic of loneliness. So in America, yes, there is a crisis of identity. You may be here this morning saying, who am I? Don't run from those questions. Wrestle with them. Pray to God. Read the Bible. Do as Aaron's friend said, read the Gospels. Come face to face with Jesus Christ. Not through some mystical experience, but through the Word and through the Gospels. You know, he says here in Exodus 19.5, you shall be my treasured possession. And if he said this to Israel then how much more through Jesus Christ do we see this applied in 1 Peter 2, which we're going to go back there in just a second, to the new covenant community. There's nothing worthy in us, but do know this, church. Do know this, even Crossway Church of Goldsboro. God loves us. We are His treasured possession, not because we are innately worthy, but because of His electing love, His covenant love. Well, among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Exodus 19.6 And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Moses, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So I just want to simply say, Exodus 19.5-6 
represent the background to our passage. Eagles. Eagles. Not talking about the Wayne Christian Eagles or the Gaston Christian Eagles. Eagles. Riken says they're especially helpless, remaining in the nest for as many as a hundred days, baby eagle. Little eagle, they're helpless, remain in the nest up to a hundred days. Then when it is time for the young bird to leave and learn to fly, the eagle stirs up the nest but does not abandon her young. If they experience difficulties, the mother bird swoops down below them and lifts them on its wings back to safety. This is precisely what God did for his people in the wilderness in Exodus and does for us today. Look at Exodus 19.4. Are you looking at it? Or at least listen. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That's the gospel, is that God brings us to God. We are alienated from God because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our puny little fists, our puny little fists that we shake in the face of God and think that it matters. And God, Psalm 2, sits in the heavens and He laughs. But for God's people, even Crossway Church of Goldsboro, if it's true of Israel, how much more of the new covenant people through Jesus Christ, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. They did not keep his covenant, but the book of Hebrews, the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, can we just see, we're still in this first heading, and this first heading will be the dominant time this morning. You are a chosen race. That's point number one. Can we just tie this together? Exodus 19, 5 and 6, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Look at it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, why? Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our, the, our culture behind which is Satan, the evil one, the devil... There's this massive focus in an unhelpful way on self-esteem. Massive focus in an unhelpful way on self-esteem. The church should not have a crisis of self-esteem, not because we're worthy, but because of what God says about us here. Because of what God says, He takes what was said to Israel and He applies it to the church. You are a chosen race. You're a holy nation. You're a people for His own possession. Do you know who you are? Because if you don't know who you are, it will affect your life. A wrong view of your identity affects how you think about your purpose in life. What is our purpose in life? It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's to sing the excellencies of His praise. Verse 9, 
identity, verse 9 and 10, calling. It says there in verse 9, you're a chosen race. Do you see that, of course? Well, there is kind of an opposite to that, and we see that at the end of verse 8. Would you look at this? And this is, this. listen, this is heavy. Don't take my word for it. Look at the word. Look at the end of verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Go back to verse 4. Go back to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Pay careful attention. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Friend, I'm telling you, on the authority of the word of God, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be put to shame. Keep reading. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So in that book that I referenced earlier, remember I was talking about Andy Nacelli's wife, in that book he says this, listen, choosing some and passing over the rest actually goes with our everyday experience of reality. If there are ten purple grapes in a bowl, and I eat seven of those purple grapes in the bowl, then three grapes remain in the container. I chose seven grapes and passed over the remaining three. That reality is part of our ordinary experience. So it is with election and reprobation. If God sovereignly and graciously chose to save certain individual sinners, then he chose not to save the rest. When I chose to ask my wife, my wife-to-be, To marry me, I passed over all other women. I chose Jenny, he says, and not the rest. The concepts, listen, about done here. The concepts of election, of elect and election, necessarily imply the concepts of non-elect and passing over. Okay, what's he saying? If you believe, as we teach here, that the Bible teaches that God graciously and miraculously and wondrously chooses some sinners out of the mass of humanity who are all going to hell, if you believe, as the Bible does clearly teach, that God chooses some sinners to be saved out of his sheer mercy, then in believing that, you're also, you're also believing that there is such a thing as the non-elect and that God passes over certain people. And then he closes and he says this, and I love it. But reprobation is not simply a doctrine that election logically implies. The Bible explicitly teaches it. Okay, what? If the Bible teaches election, God chooses who will be saved. Because, by the way, that's the only way anybody would be saved ever anyway. Then the, the doctrine of reprobation, could you just define reprobation for us? Reprobation is God sovereignly passing over sinners. God sovereignly passing over non-elect sinners. 
And what he's saying here is so helpful. He's saying it's not just a logical consequence. Well, you believe this, then that means you also believe that. You believe this, and that means you also believe that. He's saying, no, the reason we talk about reprobation in a a church service, the reason is because it's what the Bible teaches. It's because it's in the text. Please, my friend, look at the text. Does the text teach this or not? In places like Romans chapter 9. Are you a follower of Jesus? How about Jesus teaching about election and reprobation? Paul, Romans 9, Jesus, Matthew 11, Matthew 21, Peter. The thing that matters, the thing that matters is what does the text say? That's what matters. We don't believe in reprobation just because it goes with election. No, because of verse 8. Verse 9 says, verse 9, get this, but, but, but you, plural, you are a chosen race in contrast to what? In contrast to what? They stumble, into verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So a really... popular interpretation of verse 8 would be God does not predestine the who, he predestines the what. This would be a really popular, in my opinion, wrong interpretation. No, no, God doesn't predestine the who, he predestines the what. What this verse is teaching is that if you disobey the word, well, God is predestined that you will stumble and that you will be judged. You see? That's just not what the text says. The text says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You say, well, you do away with human responsibility. No, we don't. No, we don't because the word of God teaches human responsibility. They stumble because they disobey the word. Friend, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are responsible. They stumble because they disobey the word. as they were destined to do. Every word of God in the Bible is true and is for our good. How could this be, in this context, how could this be good? One very strong suggestion would be this. Peter is writing to a suffering people. Suffering how? Listen to me. Suffering in many ways because they are being reviled by unbelievers. They're being spoken ill of by the unbelievers around them. They're being persecuted with the words and sometimes beyond that of the pagans around them. And so God is comforting this people. I think what's going on here is he's saying, listen, these people are coming against you. It feels terrible. Just know, my beloved I love you. I am for you. And this has not taken me by surprise. Their attacks against you are not only not part of my plan, it's under my sovereign control. Even the attacks of your enemies, all of this is pastoral. It's pastoral. The Lord God is saying through Peter to these people, I love you. I'm for you. 
I know your weakness. I know your suffering. I know you're being attacked. That is in my control. Boy, that's heavy. That's heavy. Every word of God proves true. Now listen, we take the word of God, every word of it, as inerrant and perfect because we follow Jesus. And Jesus said, the word of God is the perfect word for the people of God. And I'm telling you, it's not just Paul in Romans chapter 9 or Peter here very clearly. It's also Jesus who might make us uncomfortable on these issues. You're a chosen race. No, no, no. Peter is not giving them some type of academic, let me speak to you about election and reprobation. He is comforting them. But you, but you are a chosen race. Number one, you're a chosen race. And then very briefly, number two, keep your conduct honorable. Very briefly, number two, keep your conduct honorable. So what? So what? Pick it up again in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The doctrine of election leaves no room for anything but humility. Worship. Witness. Verse 11. So what this morning? So what? Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, don't forget Hebrews 11.13. Sojourners and exiles. That's Hebrews 11.13, okay? To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Aaron testified to this morning that one of the ways that he knows he was not a Christian earlier is because the passions of the flesh dominated his life. Christians are not perfect people. Christians continue to sin daily. But a Christian is someone who is not completely dominated because we have a new master. Beloved, urge you, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Crossway church, men and women, boys and girls, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Compare, compare 114 in this same book right here. 1 Peter 1.14. Compare 1.14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. And it brings us right back to where we were looking, which is chapter 2, verse 11. We're just asking the simple question, so what? So what? I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the... There's a negative and there's a positive. 
The negative is this, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. home it actually will be one day right now we're aliens we're sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ that doesn't mean that we still don't struggle mightily anybody want to be honest and just say amen like we still struggle mightily every day so make war make war on the passions of the flesh in light of the gospel in light of the grace of God in light of the fact that he, he doesn't just come out and say, well, be holy. Won't you just be holy? Won't you just straighten yourself out? He says, beloved. It's, it's, as though he's, it's as though he's saying, God loves his son. And you're in, in, and you're in union with his son. You are part of his treasured possession. Beloved, I urge you, be who you are as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Dear friend, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And finally, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers... Remember the practical nature of the doctrine of reprobation? Vicious attacks against the people of God. Vicious attacks against the church. God says in 2.8b, oh, I'm in control of that. Keep your conduct among them honorable, among the Gentiles. Well, Peter's writing to pretty much all Gentiles here. That's interesting, by the way. You're no longer a Gentile. You belong to the true Israel, to Jesus Christ. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I think Jesus said something like that, maybe in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Salt and light. Salt and light. If we have a witnessing problem, Maybe it's not a witnessing problem, but maybe our fundamental issue might be a worship problem. Witness, listen to me, witness is a subset of worship. Proclamation is a subset of praise. Declaration naturally flows from delight. We commend that which we find compelling. And our identity, he says here, not, not you individually, you as a church. Our identity is you're a chosen race. And our purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Verse 9b. Verse 9b. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If we have a problem with witnessing or if we have a problem with not singing robustly enough, it ultimately goes back to a worship problem. God has saved us. He has lavished his mercy upon us through Jesus Christ and through the cross of Christ where it pleased God the Father. It pleased the Father to crush the Son for his people so that everyone, so that everyone who would ever repent and believe 
would find full forgiveness and freedom to spend the rest of our lives as a church praising God. Once you were not a people, now, now you are God's people. Let's pray. Lord, help us to humbly bow before you, to fear you. But Lord, to fear you with great joy. We do see here in this text today a sense of wonder, a sense of amazement. And even though we don't see the word joy, Lord, there's joy all over this. So help us to fear you with uncommon happiness and joy. Help us to rejoice in you. Lord, please have mercy and forgive us for our meager joy in you and help us by grace to rejoice in your great salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary. We pray in his name. Amen.